0: This week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. culmination of everything the first twelve chapters has been talking about. And in this last couple of chapters what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he's going to pull together everything that has been said about Christ in this whole book and he is going to contrast everything he said about Christ with the religious system down here on this earth. That old broken down religious system of Judaism. He's going to remind them of the insufficiency of religion and the sufficiency of Christ. Now, for those of us that have been saved, that just seems like a no-brainer that Jesus is better than religion. Uh, It just doesn't get any better than Jesus. Uh, But to a lot of people, uh, they don't get that. A lot of people still choose religion over grace. That's the choice. Religion or grace. You need to understand, religion is nothing more than a puny, sinful man trying to reach his puny hands up and lay hold on Almighty God. That's what religion is. Grace, on the other hand, is Almighty God reaching down his strong arm to the puny hand of man and lifting him up and giving him eternal life. Man that is undeserving. Receiving God's grace. And that's what we need today is God's grace. Not more religion, more grace. That's what I needed in my life. And when I realized that I needed that, that I was lost on my way to hell and could not do a thing to change that, I got down on my knees in an old-fashioned altar and I said, God, I choose grace. I want grace. My prayer for you this morning is that you'll make that choice. That you'll choose not religion, but grace. God's grace for your life. I want you to notice how the writer of Hebrews now brings all of this together. I want you to notice how he takes everything that we've learned and he brings it into a closing argument for us today to try to show you and I that it's far better to choose grace over religion. I want to show you first of all in verses 18 down through 21. He shows us what I call the reminder of things unattainable. The reminder of things unattainable. What he does in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18, he takes us back to Mount Sinai. He reminds us of the old covenant of the law that was given to Moses there on the Mount. They're reminded of how fearful and how terrifying the presence of God was there on Sinai. That These verses, if they do nothing else for you today ought to remind you and me of how blessed we are that we're not living at the foot of Mount Sinai, that we're not uh, holding on to the law today, but we've been given grace. We've not come to Mount Sinai, but he'll tell us in a minute, we've come to a different mountain. We've come to Mount Sinai. You see, God and His law over at Mount Sinai were unattainable. Unattainable. And that begs the question, why would God give the law if the law were unattainable? Why would God reveal Himself if He were unattainable? Well, you have to come to the New Testament, and Paul explains that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, he says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You see, keeping the law of God back there before Christ, keeping that law was virtually impossible. The law demonstrated the demands of a holy God. The law was the benchmark, the standard, the bar. Uh, once we're given the law, all we recognize about the law is how unattainable it is, how impossible it is to keep. And in that, we see how approachable, uh, unapproachable God really is. Now, if God is holy, and He is, and God demands perfection, and He does, what the law shows us is how unholy, how unperfect you are, how unable you are to approach God. God is unattainable. So in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, all we really get from that is we see how much we need a Savior, how lost we really are. Now, I don't have time to look at all the laws of the Old Testament. They say there's 613. How many of you would stay with me through 613 laws? My own wife wouldn't stay here for that long, okay? I know you're not going to stay here to hear 613 laws. Why don't we just take 10 of them? Those Ten Commandments. You take those Ten Commandments. I don't have to prove to you that you can't keep the law by reading 613 laws. I'd read ten of them. I don't even have to read ten of them. Let me just share a couple of them with you. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. And then Jesus adds to that in the New Testament, if you hate somebody in your heart, you're guilty of murder. The Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said in the New Testament, if you look at a woman with lust, in your lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, all the law does is reveal to us that we're murdering, lying, thieving, adulterers at heart. That's all the law shows us. We're lawbreakers. i got news for you. I, I know every one of you did a good job. You get, did a good thing. You got up and you came to church. You put on your, 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 your Sunday clothes today and I hope you brushed your teeth. You put on deodorant. And the person next to you said, Amen. And, and, and you came on to church looking your best as good as you've looked all week. You're trying to be a good person, but I've got news for you. We are not good people. Turn to your neighbor right now and say that. We are not good people. We're not good people. We're not good people. Ask somebody out there this week. Ask them if they're going to heaven and why. And a great number of people will tell you, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live a good life. According to whose standard? Whose standard are you trying to live up to? Uh, You and I don't measure up to God's standard. And His standard is the only one that matters. Do you ever wonder why when we share the gospel, when we present the good news of the gospel, why people just are running to an altar and falling down on their knees and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You ever wonder why, if the gospel is good news, and it is, why people aren't just... In love with the fact that they've been given good news. Why aren't they so ecstatic that they've received some good news? Well, the reason people aren't responding to the good news of the gospel is because they've failed to remember the bad news of the law. People don't think the gospel is good news because they don't think they need any good news. They don't think they're in trouble. They fail to look at the law of God and see how guilty they really are. The law says this is what God expects. At Mount Sinai, God told Moses, here's what I expect. And when he got that list of rules, all the people could do is look at that rule list, that rule book, and look at it and say, we don't measure up to this. This is impossible. Paul said it again in the New Testament. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews is reminding these people, there was a time when all they had was that law. That's all they had. They were completely hopeless. They were unable to keep the law. Nothing they could do could attain a relationship with God for them. No matter how good they tried to live, how good they tried to be, they never, never were good enough. And in their sin, they could not approach God. God was unattainable. Verse number 18 says, You're not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor, nor in the blackness and darkness and tempest. Mount Sinai was a place they couldn't even touch. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and the only reason he got to go was because he was invited to go there and receive the law. When Moses went up Mount Sinai, the people, they had to move away from Sinai. They had to put distance between themselves and that mountain. They couldn't go up there. They had to put a distance between them and God because they were sinners. You see, if a sinful person in that day had come into the very presence of God, you know what would have happened? Just the very fact of them being sinners and in the presence of God's holiness, it would have struck them dead, just like that. They would have fell to their knees dead. It was so terrifying, so so fearful that Moses said there in verse 21, so terrible was the sight that Moses said I exceedingly fear and quake. God's presence scared Moses. Why? Because Moses knew he was a sinner. There's nothing more horrifying than to think of a sinner standing in the presence of Almighty, Holy God. Sinners stand in that place condemned. They stand in that place doomed for hell. That is the bad news revealed by our Old Testament. That God is holy. And you and I are not. God is righteous, but we're not. He is unapproachable because of our sin. Because of our sin. Should we approach Him, His wrath would fall on us and we would die immediately. That's the bad news. Then comes the gospel. Then comes the gospel. It's not until people understand how lost they are that the gospel means something to them. The gospel says if we come to Christ and receive the life and death of Christ into our life and trust Him as our Lord and Savior, we can stand in God's presence because at that point, having received Christ, we have received the righteousness of God on the inside of us. And when we go to God, we don't go to God without holiness. We don't go to God without righteousness. We stand in His presence in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the only one to ever keep God's law. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because he's the only one righteous. He's the only one that can stand in God's presence. And the only way you can stand in God's presence is when Christ is in your life. He's the only way to approach God. You don't get to God by keeping a set of rules. You don't get to God by being more religious, by being a better person. It's not on the basis of your church membership or your good works or your good deeds. It's only by God's grace. And so if I have a choice, and I do, I do not choose to approach God on the basis of my own works. I choose to approach God on the basis of grace. I choose grace today. Because without it, God, nor His law, is attainable. Now you come to verse 22. And in verse 22, once you make the choice of grace in your life, uh, the writer shows us what I call, number two, the realization of things unseen. The realization of things unseen. Now according to verse 22, now that I stand uh, with Christ, I'm not standing at the base of Mount Sinai anymore under the law, I'm standing on top of Mount Zion. Mount Zion. I'm not trying to approach God at Sinai as a sinner, but I approach God on Mount Zion as a son. Because of His grace, now I'm a member of His family. I'm His child. Look at verse 22. He says, you're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. These are things unseen, but they're real in the Christian's life. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the General Assembly and Church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, Mediator of the New Covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us right here see that once we're saved, he wants us to realize the unseen position we hold as children of God. We stand on Mount Zion. Now, what is Mount Zion? Well, there's a literal Mount Zion over there in Jerusalem today. Mount Zion was one of, the, one of the mountains in the city, the upper city of Jerusalem. It was the stronghold of King David. It was the place of security, the strongest place in the city. David's citadel was built on Mount Zion. But in this 22nd verse, when he refers to Mount Zion, he's referring to the heavenly Mount Zion. The heavenly, the spiritual Mount Zion. And he reminds us that like those Jews understood that Zion over in Jerusalem was a place of security, there is a heavenly Mount Zion that is also a place of security for God's children. In the mind of God, we are already in that heavenly Mount Zion. We are in that unseen place. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, Paul tells us, We've been raised up with Christ and made to sit with Him together in heavenly places. In the mind of God, I'm as good as already in heaven. That's what he's saying. And you know it doesn't get no more secure than heaven does it. You know there's no locks on the doors in heaven. Uh, There's no need to worry about your safety and glory. What the writer is saying now is that you can can choose. You can choose either to stand over there at the base of Mount uh, Sinai and approach God on the basis of your good deeds... And you don't have any because you and I are lawbreakers. That's a dangerous place to be at the foot of Mount Sinai when you're a sinner. You can choose that and go to God by the way of religion. Or you can choose to go to Mount Zion. You can choose to trust trust Christ by faith. And come, he says, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Look at verse 20. As believers and because of God's grace, he says that we have come... To the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God. He says we've come to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. There's a lot being said in that 23rd verse there, but I don't want you to miss this. It says that now that we've come to Christ and we stand on Mount Zion, it says that now we can come to God, the Judge of all. It says that we have come now to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Before Jesus came, the last place I wanted to find myself standing was in front of God, the judge of all. That's the last place I needed to be. That was the place that would condemn me immediately to that place called hell. But now something's changed. Now, I'm not afraid to stand before God, the judge of all. And here's why. Because of God's grace, I can stand before the judge and not worry about anything. Because my judgment day has already taken place. My judgment day took place on a hill called Calvary. And now when I see God, He looks at me not as a sinner, but as a just man made perfect. Thank God He doesn't see me for who I was. He sees me for who I am in Christ. And because of His grace, I am accepted of God. Nothing's ever going to change that unless you can undo what Jesus did for me on the cross and you can't. And I say hallelujah. You've been, uh, been saved. I want you to understand the whole secret to the Christian life is really understanding that right there. You don't approach God back then, but when you were lost. And you don't approach God today... On the basis of how good you are. Some of you today say, I want to get saved, but I'm not good enough. Oh, i got good news for you. You don't come to God and get saved because you're good. You come to God and get saved because you're not good. Because you need a Savior. They're they're explaining here the differences between God's grace and God's law. Those first verses back, starting in verse 18 down to 21, they showed us what the law brought. The law didn't bring liberty. The law didn't make you free, free at last like we sung about. The law brought bondage. It brought fear. It brought terror. No man, no woman, no boy or girl could ever live good enough, according to the law, to approach God. To approach God on the basis of works would condemn you to hell. But today, because of God's grace, you can come to God. And the Bible says in verse 24 that we come to Him today by way of a mediator. It says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. You see, many years ago, on a hill called Calvary, the Lord stood between me and God. He took the weight of my sin to that old cross. And the Father looked at Jesus the way he would have looked at me as if I had tried to climb Mount Sinai. And when Jesus got there at the base of that mountain, God poured out his wrath on Jesus The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On Calvary's cross, God treated Jesus like he would treat a sinner, so that, hallelujah, he could treat a sinner like he would treat Jesus. And for six long hours, Jesus hung on the cross, and, and he did that so that you and I could have a mediator between us, And God, He shed his blood so you wouldn't have to shed yours. He stood in between you and the wrath of God so that God's wrath would fall on him and not you. What is that? That's grace. He could have let you face God alone, but he chose to face God for you. And so today, you can choose the goodness and grace of God, or you can be a fool and you can go to God on your own. Now, I can't choose for you. But I can choose for me. And i tell you what I choose. I choose grace. I'll take grace any day of the week. I realize I'm not accepted by God by the basis of my performance. I'm glad this is not one of them old legalistic churches that says you've got to do this, 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 and this to be right with God. Listen to me. I'm right with God today based on a man that hung his body on a cross years ago. I'm not going to heaven. I'm not accepted by God because of my performance. I'm accepted because of His performance on the cross. Why would you ever want to meet with God with anything but grace? That's crazy. Some people choose not to realize those things unseen. Look with me now at verse number 25. Herein begins the last warning of the five warnings in the book of Hebrews that we've been talking about. And in this last warning, the writer of Hebrews shows us what I call the refusal of things undeserved. The refusal of things undeserved. Listen to verse 25. He says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not, who refuse him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. You know, that verse sounds a lot like the first verse of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews started out by saying, God hath spoken. And here again, he reminds us that God has spoken to us. Uh, This is not to be taken lightly, ladies and gentlemen. When God speaks, we better listen. You better listen when God speaks. The writer of Hebrews is talking to a congregation. He's writing to a church. The church he's writing to is very much like any church. Any church. Did you know that in any church, there are some in the church that have been saved by God's grace? They've been saved by God's grace, and that's why they're there. They're there to worship God. But in that same room, a room just like this today, there are also some in the room that are not saved by grace. They simply come to church because they're religious. And that's what religious people do. They go to church. They go 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 to meeting. And they go there because that's where religion tells them to go. And what he's telling them here, these people that are religious, they're trying to live that good person life and thinking they're going to heaven because they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go with girls that do. You know what I'm talking about? They got all these things right in their life and they say, well, that's why I'm going to heaven. And they've never received the good grace of God. God sends a warning to people like that. He says, listen, see that you refuse not him that's speaketh. God's speaking to your heart. You need to understand you didn't deserve for God to speak to you today. You and I, we are sinners. But when God speaks, it's not because we're uh, so worthy of hearing from God. It's because God wants to show us grace. It's because God wants to save us. It's an expression of His grace. Think about how God has been showing you grace already. Think about how good God has been to you that He arranged your life to put you in this building under the sound of this message. He sent you a message from the Word of God, from God's servant to warn you about where you're going to spend eternity. About how you've not uh, measured up to the standard. How you're going to miss the mark. In life and eternity, because you fail to accept the grace of God. God has spoken to your heart this morning. Some of you already speaking to your heart. And if you choose to refuse his voice, if you choose to turn away him that speaketh from heaven, how are you going to escape? That's what he says. How are you going to escape? And the answer is very simple, ladies and gentlemen. You will not escape. You will not escape. You will meet God in judgment. And you will be judged in eternity on the basis of how well you live. And I'm telling you, probably not one of you didn't get to church without breaking some sort of law before you got here today. You're going to meet God. You're going to be guilty. And if you've offended in one point of the law, you have broken the law of God. And there's only one sentence for lawbreakers. It is the death penalty. I'm telling you what, they some around this land today that don't believe in the death penalty. God still believes in it. God says there will be spiritual death. There will be a second death for all of eternity. And that second death is carried out not in an unresponsive state, but in a very aware state, in a very tangible, literal body, in a place of God's wrath called hell. You'll very quickly learn when you stand before God in your own own good works. That those good works were not good enough. And so God will look at the whole of your life. He will analyze your life. He will look down and He will say, I see no righteousness in your life. You You will be found guilty in God's courtroom. The verdict will be passed. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And the sentence will immediately be passed. There will be no appeal. There'll be no do-over. There'll be no siding for your civil rights. Ladies and gentlemen, God will say you're guilty. The sentence from the judge of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come down and it will be the death sentence. You're not going to like it. All those receiving the death sentence suffer for eternity, uh, eternity on end. I thought this week about old Judas Iscariot that died and went to hell. He died and went to hell. And you 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 think about this. That man is still in hell today. He's been there 2,000 years. He's still suffering the way he did. He didn't go there and burn up like a piece of tissue paper like some teeth. No, he's still in torment today. Can you handle that kind of torment? Listen to the warning. Don't refuse the voice of God that speaks to your heart. Come to an altar. Throw yourself down at the mercy of God and say, God, I choose grace today. For those that will choose the race of God, he begins now in verse 26 by explaining to them what I call the reality of things unshakable. The reality of things unshakable. Beginning in verse number 26, we look ahead here and we foresee a universe that's one day tossed in an upheaval. The very God of glory we talk about is going to shake this old world back to its foundations. He says in verse 26, Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. One of these days, everything in this physical universe is going to come tumbling down like the walls of Jericho. It's going to fall down. The Lord's going to return to this earth. He's going to shake this planet until so the only thing left standing are those things that are unshakable. He's going to do this according to verse 27. That those things, he says, which cannot be shaken, remain. Now, I want you to know today, today, if you live long enough, something's going to shake your life. And when you get into eternity, what hasn't already been shaken about you, the Lord's going to return He's going to shake what's left. And the only things that are, uh, that are going to remain are those things that are spiritual. The only things that are going to remain are those things are unshakable. What things... In this life and eternity are unshakable. Well, the throne of God is unshakable. The throne of God, uh, this world's in turmoil. And the kingdoms of this world are going to crumble one of these days. But when the dust of battle settles, the, the throne of God will not be shaken. Psalm chapter 45 verse 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And sitting atop His unshakable throne is His unshakable King, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's throne will not be shaken. I'll tell you something else that won't be shaken. This good word of God will not be shaken. I'm telling you today they're trying to rewrite it. They're trying to revise it. Some people are trying to reinterpret it to suit their own life. But you're not going to change this book because this book has already been settled. You say, well, I'll just get rid of that. You'll only get rid of a copy of it. The original's up there in Glory. I want to tell you today, it's not going to change. God's not revising it for this modern age today. He's not changing it to suit your life. He wants to change your life to suit this book. Psalm 119 says, Thy word, O God, is settled forever in heaven. This Bible is stand when the world's on fire. I want to stand and put my life on this unshakable book. i tell you something else. The church of God is not going to be shaken. Oh, devil, he's trying to shake this church. And some some, some silly, foolish men and women today say, Oh, we're, we're just going to make sure we destroy the church. God help us never to have any folks come to this church that are like that. But I've been in some in some churches with some folks that I believe they had it out in their mind. They were going to destroy that work. Well, i got news for them and the devil. The church is not crumbling down. Hallelujah. She's on her way up. The church is not going to be shaken. Jesus said, upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm not worried about the church. It's his church. It's fine. It ain't going to be shaken. Tell you something else the Son of God's not going to be shaken. This old world, they blaspheme the name of Jesus. Our government tries to put Him over here into the church. It says, oh, you've got to separate church and state. What they mean is we've got to separate government, public life, and God. That's all they're talking about. We don't want to hear God's name because God's name convicts us. His reality convicts us. So put Him over there in the church. At least we can decide we don't have to go over there to church. And so they try to shake up the Son of God and to kick Him out of His own universe. You know, it's, it's no different than what they tried to do to Jesus some 2,000 years ago. He was stirring them up, upsetting their apple cart over there in Israel back some 2,000 years ago. So they said, we'll shake you up. We'll do away with you. So they arrested him and tried him unfairly. Uh, they had a silly court that did everything wrong and not by the book. The they, pilot said, I find no fault in him. But they still crucified him on a cross. Then they stuck him in a tomb. Wow, they were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to shake him up. But three days later, something went to shaking and it wasn't Jesus. It was the door of his tomb on Easter morning. And the unshakable Christ came walking out of the grave. So I got news for this old God-despising world. You're not going to shake Jesus. He's the unshakable Christ. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father that Christ is Lord. That's the reality of the things that are unshakable. And I want to ask you today, why would you want to build your life on anything but those things that are unshakable? Don't choose the things that are going to fall apart and have your life falling apart with it. Choose grace. And when you choose grace, you'll get all those things that are unshakable in your life. And then we come now to verses 28 and 29. And in these last verses of chapter 12, we see what I call the receiving of things unmerited. Verse 28 says, Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. He says, We're receiving a kingdom. Our Lord's kingdom is going to last forever and ever. But notice right there in verse number 28 again. He says, wherefore or because we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Look at what he says there. Look at that. Let us have grace. Let us have grace. Let us receive the one thing that we cannot merit by our good deeds and our good behavior. Let us receive the one thing we don't deserve. But has been freely offered. Let us have grace. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Choose grace. Choose grace. And then when you do, he says, Go out and serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Why? Because verse 29 tells us, it reminds us that our God is a consuming fire. He could have sent you to hell this morning if he had wanted to, but he chose to offer salvation to you and to save you. And you can keep trying to be a good person if you want to, but if you've broken one single law of God, you're a lawbreaker. God's wrath is going to fall on you on the day of judgment. That's why I want to recommend to you that you do what I did years ago. Let me tell you what I did. Knowing I was headed to God's courtroom, here's what I did. I settled out of court. I settled out of court. I chose grace. I chose not to go under the law because the law says I'm guilty. That's not where I want to be. I want to be under grace. In Ephesians two, chapter chapter two, verse eight and nine says, "For by grace I was saved through faith. That not of myself; it's a gift of God, not of my works, lest I should boast." Is what he's saying. I realized a long time ago, folks, I'm not good enough for heaven. You're not even. That's why I got on my knees and said, God, I choose grace. I choose grace. What about you today? Would you choose grace today? Would you give your life to Christ and come out under this alone? You say, I want you grace. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write, Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsideDallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.